Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, road and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. There's a real benefit to being authentic. Um, you know, and I say that as if you can control it. I mean, you are what you are. If you've gotten to that level, there's certainly a lot of good that got you there. Embrace it. Don't try to become somebody else. Uh, first of all, it's just too complicated, right? Who are you going to be? Just be who you are. Refine it. Make it digestible. Then surround yourself with people that embrace your your values and your authenticity. This is Lee Curtis, co-founder and CEO of Reside. And their purpose is to transform the way travel is purchased with a focus on delivering global travel solutions for companies through their curated platform. And in this conversation, we hear that Lee believes the traditional corporate housing industry's state of evolution and being driven by the acceleration and interest in alternative ways of traveling, both when it comes to leisure and work. We talk about digital transformation in hospitality and importance about as an operator, have a robust backend and make sure it stacks up when it comes to cybersecurity and safety. Lee also talks about ensuring that the human touch is available for customers when they need it, especially in those moments where they need certainty and have big questions they can't find via technology. Then is the time for humans to step in. He also talks about how hospitality sector needs really to adapt and lift sustainability agenda and contribute to solve the big problems of the world. Lee gets some great advice on leadership skills, especially around how it's important to show compassion right now in everything we do. And have in mind that people have been through a lot and there's more challenges coming ahead. Before you tune in, please sign up for our weekly newsletter packed with more Maverick insights, strategies and tools. Find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. There's also a free copy of the From Fragile to Agile white paper on bizsimply.com under the resource tab or via the link in the show notes. There will be some great insights and solutions in this white paper to improve your leadership game. Now, grab your notebook. There's some great leadership advice in here to navigate uncertainty and digital transformation. I'm super excited about today's conversation because we're going to be touching uh, on an area that's been talked a lot about during the pandemic, the, the short stay model and actually how that's competing with the traditional hotel market. And uh, actually, it's, there's a whole conversation about the way we go away from home, the way business travel is done. It's going to be different. And I already had a conversation with Lee, who is the, the our guest today. And I know he's already have some very interesting things to share with you, but also that, you know, the whole thing about the digital experience of this and how important that is, you know, both in a, for feeling safe, but also for feeling that we are having a special brand experience. And he is going to talk a bit about what they're doing on, on their platform as well and other areas of the business. But I, I will, I will let Lee talk much more about that. But first of all, Lee, thank you so much for, for coming on the show and, and welcome. Michael, thanks for having me. I've enjoyed enjoyed our pre conversation. I look forward to the show. That yeah, yeah, and then the interesting thing is that you are based in in the U.S. and I'm sitting here in, in the U.K. And, and what we're going to be talking about today is like suddenly hospitality or you know hotels or whatever we're in. It's just suddenly everything has just become global with the pandemic. Like we found out that we have some of the same challenges, we the trends, some of the same things. And it feels like now we have become much more united as an, an industry, the hospitality industry. And I know you've been in, in your area of the sector, the sector you've been in, you've been, you know, most of your career as well. So it could be great to hear a bit more, Lee, so people get a bit of a picture about what is, a, you know, what kind of business you're in, what is your background, 
and and what's going on right now for for you guys those three questions in one i'll, I'll make sure we get all of them <laughs> well and, I, and i'll tag on to what you just said i agree i think you know it's more global i i i think i'd even say it's it's the lines the lines have become much more blurred between all the different hospitality products that are out there and a lot of that driven i mean i think there was a movement toward toward you know my my sector what i would you know you know you call it short term i you know i'd call it you know alternative accommodations but all of it is different than a hotel um but the, but certainly highlighted um by kind of the migration toward this model during the pandemic um, but it was you know it was coming before that um but the but the brief you know i, I think the, the the quick background for me is you know i represent uh, a sector of the business you know known more traditionally in the United States is corporate housing uh, over in your neck of the woods, serviced apartments or service lots, apart hotels, uh, you know, in Europe um, or on continental Europe and around the world and executive residences in Asia, but all, you know, fundamentally furnished, you know, furnished apartments um, that offer hotel like services. Um, I've been doing this since 1994, so that just aged me tremendously. Um, but I, uh, but I did start, uh, my career as a, uh, uh, believe it or not, as a bellman in a Hyatt hotel back in 1983. So, you know, my roots are, have been hospitality, uh, through and through, um, you know, I, I, the, you know, I know we'll talk about leadership later, but I, just to, just to kind of bookend that, whether, although it's been a complete career in hospitality, I did have a, a concurrent career in the, uh, army reserves, uh, you know, as an officer and did that for 12 years. And that, you know, that, that actually intersects with a lot of how I do things, but, um, um, but yeah, currently the CEO and founder of reside, uh, reside is a company that is, um, you know, uh, headquartered out in Seattle. The, the, the core of the company is a company known as Aboda. It's been around for over 30 years. It's it was born out of the necessity to house interns for Microsoft back when Microsoft was still brand new. Uh, that's our birthplace, if you will. Um, you know, and I'm proud to say that that company has, a ma has managed, you know, before my leadership and after my leadership to maintain that relationship as Microsoft's uh, provider globally. Um, that's a 30 year plus, uh, you know, award, if you will, that has taken, you know, a lot of work and a lot of evolution to to maintain but it's you know we, we're held to a very high standard and you know they don't they, they they go out to bid regularly so you know we have to re-earn it every few years but uh um but that company you know um has has been providing this this more organic service department product you know for all those years right in seattle that was our core that was our base um and to give you some sense of scale michael because it, it gets lost in translation sometimes it's a company that not only does it provide service apartments in that in that area, it's one of the most unique companies in the world in its ability to scale within three and six month intervals. So we would go from under, you know, take the pandemic out of it. We would go from about 800 apartments to over 3000 in three months and then bring them all the way back down to, you know, 800 apartments. Um, our infrastructure allowed for that, you know, our back office, our, our warehousing, our trucks, you know, we were able to do things that most people can't do. And it was unique, very unique to Seattle. Um, uh, but that was, you know, the, the, the core of our business for many years. Um, and then, you know, the pivot to that has been what you see is 360, uh, which is our tech platform, which is a global marketplace of, you know, glo compliant vetted products that allow us to create a, a single source solution for our global clients for this product line. You know, it primarily focuses in, on aggregating built for business style, uh, furnished apartments, uh, in all jurisdictions around the world, you know, 60 countries, you know, we've aggregated over a million styles of inventory, both, you know, both. And as I say, deep and wide, you know, many quality offerings, but many price, you know, in many geographies. Uh, and that's become a big driver of our business um, um, over the last, uh, you know, really the last three, two or three years. Did that accelerate with the pandemic where, uh, you know, digitalization became even, even more important? And also, you know, knowing that, for example, very basic need, it was safe 
you know, and uh, when I go here, I know they've done the vetting. I know that it's going to be working when I'm arriving. Yeah, you know, I want to, it's, it's, um, there's an accountability that I think is critical when you're, when you're facing, whether it's a client or a customer, right? I, my company's faced is, is really more of an enterprise facing business to business platform. This is what we focus on. And, you know, within the, um, the context of being that sort of provider, you're held to a standard that comes from procurement, from risk management, you know, from legal, um, and HR. So you're dealing with the soft side of it, which is comfort and quality. You're dealing with the hard side of it, which is compliance and vetting. Um, you know, I, I, you know, if, if I, if I'm going to be edgy on this podcast at all, I'm going to say I'm a little disappointed in, in the proliferation of platforms that have come out to, to aggregate this style of product that aren't putting any attention to the, to the back end of, you know, the legalities of the business, the safety of the business. It's not just about creating a marketplace and pushing inventory through, right? That's, you know, that, that to me is reckless and I see a lot of it. We've taken a different path and our path has an equal, equal parts, um, you know, of the quality safety, uh, components uh, as well as the service and, and to your point the digitalization of the experience are all critical but you know and I, and I and I say that and it gets lost on people so you know the, the example I will give is you know our the back end of our system um, vets over 400,000 global databases against you know things like like money laundering sanctions anti-bribery trade compliance you know um, insurance, uh, tax evasion, tax fraud, you know, so which sounds like, no, what, what do you worry about that? Right. Well, you worry about it when, when someone from Seattle says we need to be in Nigeria for a month for our project. And, you know, I'm picking Nigeria, maybe right or wrong, but you know, everyone has a view of Nigeria, you know, you have to be very careful when, cause it's not just the apartment it's who owns the apartment, what company is managing that apartment? Are they on a sanction list? Have they been caught for bribery? Have, are they, is it actually illegal as an American company to place somebody in that apartment, right? And, you know, you don't get the benefit anymore of saying, well, I didn't know um, because, because it's available now. That information is available. So you used to be able to say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Um, now people go to jail for that stuff. You know, you know, I mean, sanctions are the United States favorite weapons. So, you know, you, you, you don't always know where the sanctions have been applied. You know, we always think it's the Middle East and their sanctions are placed all over this, this world. So just knowing that is important. And again, it protects the company, my company, and it also protects the company I'm working with. And that's just one example. Um, but it's, it's critical. And if, you know, people should, you know, I, as I say, when we kind of pitch our product, you should be losing sleep every night if your supplier isn't doing this for you. It's super interesting because um, we've done a bit of research on digital transformation in hospitality and especially around restaurants. And and some of them have now, after they deployed a lot of technology, not so much marketplace, maybe order alignment, suddenly they stand with this thing. They have all this customer data as well. So this, you know, cybersecurity issue suddenly, because suddenly they look into other industries where they've been hacked, you know, banks and so on. So why should our be safe, you know, and what are the, what is done to make our data safe? Because you can almost kill the business if you don't get this right, you know? Well, I can assure you, um, given our, you know, given the, uh, you know, the, the client base that we satisfy, that we serve, that their tolerance for a data breach is zero. Um, it, it, there's no, again, there's no apology there. So the, again, in a, you know, as, as newcomers come into this space is, and, you know, and it's super, it's very easy to build out a, you know, a website and create the illusion of, of, of a marketplace, but, you know, the back end of it has to be as robust as, as, as the clients you're serving. And again, when you start talking about fortune 100, fortune 500, fortune thousand companies, their data, um, um, protocols are, you know, way bigger than, than most people can imagine. You know, the money we spend on just being certified uh, to work with some of these accounts would put most companies out of business. Um, and, you know, so it's, a, it's, a, it's certainly a, um, it, it's a barrier to entry 
to some extent to go after those clients. But I think it's very misunderstood how serious these these companies take it. And, you know, as we were talking about earlier about legalities, right, they don't really realize the the downward um, uh, pressure that can come from an organization if you fail them uh, in that, you know, uh, and it's not, it's, it's so much more complex than, you know, did you write a password on a sticky pad and stick it on your computer? I mean, it's, you know, our, some of our relationships with our clients actually uh, uh, guide our protocols, you know, whether it's how, you know, what systems we use to, how we use those systems because again you know when you start to interface with these companies you, you cannot be the weak link uh in and uh, again their tolerance is pretty pretty close to zero <laughs> uh, super interesting because you know normally let's say like digitalization and hospitality has always been my view is that has been a bit behind and now we're, we're catching up and what normally happens when something catch up in society law also become more complex and more con consequences get higher suddenly suddenly it will catch up in the beginning it's a bit behind and it's a bit the wild west and platforms can do this or any other new invention have more wiggle room but suddenly it becomes you know from a business point of view and what you need to know sometimes it's a it, it can be quite challenging have you seen this as well as you've been in the industry and worked with this platform over the last three years suddenly you know, compliance and law across the world is catching up with, with tech and actually demands other things you've seen, you know, totally other example, Facebook now being a bit challenged. Yeah. I was, th I was just thinking about that. Right. I mean, something as simple as a social network um, obviously became a behemoth um, and kind of lost track of what it was meant to be. Right. And, and, and I mean, there's a lot to come out of that. So, um, but yeah, that's a great example. I think you, you know, you know, there's a um, uh, one of the roles I, I've had the privilege of, of of sitting in has been the chair of CHPA, the chairman of CHPA, uh, on and off for the last 15 years. And, and during one of those stints, we actually employed a futurist. His name's uh, uh, Brian David Johnson. Um, by the way, I, I'll, I'll send you his name because you, sh you should get him on your show. You'd love to have him. Um, he's a genius futurist out of Arizona state or, or ASU, but anyway, his, his whole thing on platforms and technology is it's never the thing. It's the thing after the thing, which is always in my mind, right? Like everyone gets caught up in, you know, like in, in Uber, you know, in Lyft. Well, the, they're, they're, they're a placeholder for an idea. Cause the, the, the idea that will actually stick is probably after them. Right. Cause technology will overtake that. You know, there's a different technology coming, whether it's blockchain or some of the more, you know, uh, intricate technologies that, that may emerge. Um, so, or the convergence of just nanotechnology, all of it is, 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 it could change that, right? And, and everything that's out there, whether it's eBay as a marketplace or anything, and there's the thing after the thing. So it's, it's, I always keep that in mind when I think of these, you know, what, what happens because the thing after the thing is going to address what happens at the beginning of the, at the end of the cycle, which is governance compliance starts to collide with technology. Right. So, and then that tech can't necessarily reverse engineer itself to meet those demands. So sometimes it's easier for the next person to look at that as an opportunity. And again, you, you came from, you come from a more traditional face-to-face -face service model and you've kept some of those legs within the business and then you've gone into in principle i don't know if i'm getting this right and you can correct me with this but again you know developing a tech business in principle within that how have that you know for you as a leader as well and the team how have that been doing that transition because i from my view it's it's very different it's a business model, it's a business model, but it's a very different skill set and thinking that needs to build a technological platform and providing a service. Service is difficult to scale, even though I said you found the right way of scaling up and down. But this is actually where many service businesses die is to scale up and down is the challenge or the founder can only or the culture can only be copied so well. Well, I, one thing I'll, I'll, um, I'll go back in time for a minute and say that, you know, my first uh, conversation or my first real entry into technology was when I was CEO of Bridge Street uh, back in uh, 2000 and I'm trying to think the year, like 2003, four, um, 
uh, we developed what I consider to be the the original platform. Uh, it's called Easy Source. It really spurned for the for our sector. Uh, it became kind of the original template of a marketplace. Now, nothing like they look today, um, but all of them came out of it. Epic came out of it. ReloQuest came out of it. All of them took that idea and and reverse engineered it and improved upon it. Frankly, which is you know when I went uh, when I went over to Aboda to kind of lead that technological technological charge. You know, I did the same thing. I took the idea of a marketplace, but said, how can I make it better for today's new, for today's world, right? When choice, choice isn't the primary key, it's a key, but not the primary key. So I did have that business line and it was a pretty, a very successful business line in my last company, but it was a complementary business line. The core was the Opco. And then when, when, when we, I went to a boat and then, um, you know, as part of, um, the transaction from a boda to reside, which was when, when, uh, I partnered up with a, a private equity firm and we bought a boda and, you know, with the idea of growing reside through technology, um, it was a pivot and you're right. It was a pivot in intellect, um, you know, where the corporate housing business, if you will, the short-term rental business was really a, uh, a, a very close first cousin to hospitality. So all the same features are there, right? You got to have a well-appointed apartment you got to clean it. You got to maintain it. You got to be available for service. All those, it's just a little, it's got a little bit longer window to it, but it's the same. It's a hospitality product. Um, and then, you know, this, this 360 platform really took off in the last couple of years and it's become the bigger part of our business. So we've actually had to start looking at the company as two companies. Um, because the skill sets are very different, you know, in managing and, 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 you know, as part of our process, you know, you know, with 360, it's a curated managed marketplace. So it's not a, Michael doesn't come on find his own thing and just get it. And he's left alone. You know, that isn't what we're offering. What we're offering is complete program management for these large companies where we, we kind of, we give them the, the technological advantage of tech flow but we, we hover over it at all times to make sure that this process, you know, stays in line with expectations, but, but more importantly, just takes, um, acknowledges the fact that on a 30 or 60 day stay, you know, or just, let's take it even back to a, a week or more, more can go wrong than if you're there for two days. Right. So, and then you start to, you know, the further that length of stay goes out, the more opportunity there's for things to go wrong, but there's more opportunities for things to collide with the fact that you're in another country for an extended period of time, right? You're in Denmark for two months, right? And, and you need help. And, you know, so we've had to build the system to be very responsive, but we've also kept, you know, very human touch type elements in place as digital as the world gets when, when, when things go bad, you, when you make a call, right, you, you really want someone there. Um, and you don't want to go to a phone tree to get it. And you don't, you, and you don't want to feel like you've been outsourced to some other country for the night. So part of our value proposition is we have a 24 hour man call center in Seattle and it's our people answering the phone, solving problems. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a safety net, you know, but it's important. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're always trying to keep that human element into the transaction because because our transaction is very different than a hotel transaction right that length of stay that cost all those features um change the mindset of the buyer and you know our, our, everything we've done has been to kind of r rather than convince them that there's a better way they don't know about you know we developed a better way but also give them the comforts of what they're used to and you know time will tell you know, how far digitization goes to remove the human element from the transaction. You know, I'm, I'm a little more, you know, as we were talking about, I'm, I'm, I'm just, if I had hair, it would be gray. Um, and uh, I'm gray enough to still be stubbornly thinking that the human, the human uh, customer still wants some, some good face-to-face -face service. And, um, you know, in whatever fashion that means, uh, they don't want to be thrown off into the bot world yet. And it's very interesting uh, because I had a situation where I needed to get something done with the bank while I was away. And normally everything goes on the, the phone. So I was very skeptical that I actually could get hold on something. And actually, positively enough, my bank, they picked up the phone straight away. 
and they had my profile. They knew what I was doing straight away. I was I was not in the country, so that was even better, you know. And I just felt they dealt with it. These things were sorted. The payment went through. All was great, and I was just like, you know, it took me five minutes. But that I, I will never forget that because I I didn't want to wait somebody replying on an email. I wanted to sort it now because it had a had a business consequence if it was not sorted now. Yeah, and 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 that's the perfect blend of technology and 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 and. and you know, classic service, right? So the technology enhanced it, right? Because they had everything they needed right in front of them um, to validate you, to do the transaction and to take care of you. But you had a person that actually was trained to care and, and had the skill set to take care of your problem. That to me, you know, that's the, the best definition of where technology can move hospitality forward is always keeping in mind that blend, right? Enhance it where it can be enhanced, but protect it. You know, because at the end of the day, you're being you're being judged on service, not how slick your tech is. Um, and, and, and you know, so I, that's a great example. That's a great example. Yeah. And I often say that how can tech actually help, you know, removing some of these low adding value tasks that is in hospitality. So actually the people can spend time on high value added tasks with this hospitality, communication, problem problem solving that you know no algorithm can do because they need to look at you and see how you are feeling in that situation too and okay he needs a bit more safety or he's okay so we just give him a bit of direction you know that that reading that person element yeah and there's such and there's such there's such a gradient of what i call travel skill set right so you're you're a global traveler you're comfortable with it right you know how to navigate an airport you know how to navigate you know, customs, you know how to navigate a city. Um, and then you know how to na navigate most hotels, right? And then, so you're at the, you know, you're at the alpha level of, of traveler. And then there's people that don't know those things. And there's, and, and I watch it because I travel a lot. You know, I, I've become more compassionate about it too. I feel sorry for people um, as you see them struggle to, to figure out how to, you know, like the tube system in London, you know, you need a PhD to figure that out. Um, you know, and I feel sorry for people that, you know, you just watch them struggle staring, right. And looking at the map and, you know, and getting into a hotel and not really understanding the difference of the hotels and how people operate. It's all of it can be overwhelming. Right. And you need to have people that are still there that can help guide you. And it's quite interesting because I was just, as I told you before, when I was on um, a trip to Denmark, I was seeing some family and then we had a hotel stay before we had to go on the plane in Copenhagen and, this hotel, I hadn't seen that before book and I don't mind. You can only check in by yourself. There's like, you know, kiosk check in. I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I was just there arriving late, just needed a bed. And then we early up next morning and off. Uh, but I was like some elderly couples there, a couple that was coming at the same time. And I could just see they didn't know what to do. And it's not because they hadn't, did I have an iPhone and all that, but suddenly what is this? I never experienced this before. And, and it was of course very small in the description when you ordered that there's only online check-in. There's no human being. You can go at a bell over in the corner and ring and somebody will come. So uh, we help them and all that. But again, it just shows you the importance of you cannot. It's great. You know, it looks good at the bottom line, but it can maybe destroy your brand if you're not aware. Again, as you say, there's different travel levels and technology adaption. Even though we become better with the pandemic, we're forced to, everybody was forced to go on a Zoom. Even my parents could do Zoom now. That was not something... Yeah, I think the error that's being made in, in the evolution of technology, uh, especially in hospitality, is this this assumption, and you said it, that everyone has it and everyone knows how to use it, um, and that everyone is somehow, you know, under the age of 35 when they travel, right? So all of this is great. And, you know, the, the, the major, you know, buying power still sits, you know, in the plus 50, and at that range, there's a real gradient, again, of technological, you know, uh, prowess. Um, you know, some people, you know, I have an 84-year-old dad who has an iPhone, but, you know, it, it's only two things to him, right? It's text and phone. Um, don't, don't assume because he has it, he can work an app. And, and these are the things that we have to be really careful about, you know, you know, and, and maybe not forever, but certainly for the next 20 or 30 years, don't forget the people that don't have those skills because they will alienate, you will alienate them. Yeah, and I guess it comes the same with your employees. I have a lot of conversation with uh, CEOs. You're choosing some tech, but 
you haven't actually tested out if the people are ready for oh they know how to use it they are young that's where i I have to stay the voice of reason you know and and, and, uh, again that's that age range right so i'm protecting i'm protecting the baby boomers out there what what mega trends are you seeing uh in the in the sector you're in right now what is that what is happening what what is like the the moving things that really move through fast right now yeah there's a couple of things and again you know I'll, i'll speak from the from the from the angle of you know short-term rental alternative accommodations corporate housing i'll put that furnished group into one bubble just for the for the sake of the conversation but i think you know and you probably you know and i don't think i'm gonna say anything you haven't heard either but i think you know this this kind of two things kind of collided during um uh during uh, the pandemic uh this idea of work and play um you know, biz leisure, as I call it, as others call it, you know, but this idea of extended travel where you both, you know, you, you're, you're going somewhere to work, um, or take, or, or taking holiday to work, but also, you know, more, you know, doing both, which is very much an American thing to do. Cause you know, I, I had my office in London for long enough to know that when the, when the Brits take off on holiday, they actually mean it. I mean, they, I don't even know if they bring their phones with them. Right. So, they're gone for two weeks. Uh, over here, it's always kind of been a little, you know, a little bit of both. But I think, you know, from an American side of things, you're seeing a lot more people embrace what was kind of previously reserved for the gig workers, where the gig workers, you know, have, have kind of over the last five or 10 years kind of perfected the idea of living and working abroad, be, being connected via remote. And, you know, no one knew, no one was the wiser. And I think I saw it even with my own team. You know, I remember doing executive calls in the middle of the pandemic where, you know, one of my executives was in, was in the back of her RV, you know, in the middle of Wyoming, you know, doing her work. I, I didn't care where she was. Right. Uh, you know, as long as the work's getting done. And I think we're a lot more as leaders, we're a lot more open to that. Um, and I think that you're seeing a lot more, you know, companies, you know, allowing their their senior people and the people they can, you know, keep where their accountability levels are pretty high, do these things. So, you know, go to, you know, and even on the short level, you know, go to Paris to work for a week and spend four days, you know, on holiday and then come home, you know, which is essentially what I used to do, but you do both. And I think more of, I think people have now experienced that. And I think also, and I have to kind of give a nod, whether it's popular or unpopular to Airbnb, to say they really opened the eyes of the world to this idea of 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 this um, of furnished products that are not hotels, and they opened the, the you know they opened up a big you know um, uh, buying population that hadn't considered it and now have learned about it and are interested in it. Now the, there's also the other side of that, which is you're dealing you know where the hoteliers will say, well it's an inconsistent product, it's inconsistent experience, and they're right, right? They're right across the board. Some people are fine with that. Um, I think that's where you're starting to watch different styles of marketplaces emerge that filter out, filter the noise out on, on something as big as Airbnb. You know, I, I would say from a business side, we're one of those. You know, 360 is actually, you know, taking even out of the Airbnb universe through some of their super host products that look and feel more business and bringing them into our ecosystem for distribution, right? Um, we're protect again, we're putting a layer of c- compliance and, and duty of care on top of it. But, you know, five years ago, we would, I would have sat there and had to explain for half an hour what this idea was or what this product was. Now everyone just gets it right. Um, and again, depending on your experience with Airbnb, you either got it in a good way or got it in a bad way. Right. Then I think that's their danger. You know, you, you get one of the bad stays and you're like, I'm not doing that again. Um, and I think, and I think they're going to be up against that, um, because they don't really have that much control over their, their, um, their hosts. And as much as they try to get the business piece fine tuned, they're still not controlling the host outcome as much as they would like. So. Um, so I think that's, I think that's one mega trend. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I think something that is really kind of coming forth, I think a lot more, and we talked about it at the beginning of the, before the call started was the climate. Um, and I think, 
you know, there's been a lot of lip service given to um, uh, sustainability uh, and the climate for years. Um, uh, I think, you know, you're going to see more real action coming from our sector, the hospitality sector around how to create more sustainable stays. And it won't just be, we don't wash your towels for a week like they do in a lot of hotels, but it'll be other things. Um, how they purchase, um, you know, what they purchase, FF&E, right? There's an entire emerging industry around FF&E that's sustainable. Um, and, you know, it just goes on and on and on. And I think, I think you know, you're, it's finally going to collide with the P&L because I don't think it's going to save people money. Uh, companies aren't going to save money by becoming sustainable, um, but they're not going to have a choice anymore. And I think that it's going to be interesting to watch what comes out of that. I don't have a, I don't have a beat on it, but things will disrupt off of it. Cause I could see big companies like, you know, like any of the fortune 500 going to RFP saying you must be X sustainable by this period. You must reduce your carbon footprint as a corporate goal over the next three years by this much. And they're going to, and the tail will start to wag the dog on this whole idea. I, I think they're, I think you're finally going to see that happen. What about um, if we go from the trends, uh, what have been your, your, your referring back to the last 18 months, what has been your, uh, you know, biggest learning in, in all this, you know, what, what are you taking with you on the other side of a pandemic? I don't think it's over yet. No, we're, I wish we, I wish it. Yeah. I wish we were over. It's very frustrating. I never, I remember sitting here this time last year doing um, um, planning for the next year and being so excited that we had a vaccine um, and, you know, just in my head and I was, I've been, by the way, I've been wrong for this entire pandemic. So I thought it was going to be over sooner. You know, I thought that, then I thought the vaccine was going to solve the problem and it didn't. Uh, it, I mean, it certainly helped, you know, but I never thought we'd have a population that said no. Um, and then, um, you know, obviously the Delta variant. And then I think the, um, you know, the reaction, because there's two reaction levels. And I'll say this, it's not the question, but I'll say this from just being a, a, someone that's been traveling since last July. The airports are full. I and mean, if you just traveled, I, I have to think, if you, did, if you went through Heathrow, it was pretty full. Um, you know, the traveler is ready to travel. The business traveler is ready to travel. The only thing being holding everyone back and, and, and to get back to normal is the companies that run the, the, the companies that make the decisions and the governments that are barring it. But if you ask the traveling population, the road warriors and everyone else that fuels this global economy, they're ready to go. Um, and they've been traveling as much as they can. So I think, you know, I think that's interesting. And, you know, I think what well, I, I learned, you know, if I'm just talking about learnings, from my business, I was super surprised by the resiliency of the sector during, during COVID. Um, I mean, there were a few companies that went out of business, but not many. Uh, and I think it, it, it confirmed something I wondered about, um, you know, mission critical travel, you know, because when the world shut down, it didn't shut down. Right. I mean, some of the, a lot of hotels went to zero, um, but our industry stayed pretty, flat it didn't grow um but it didn't collapse either uh, which meant there was a lot of people staying for a week or longer being pushed into areas because they were mission critical whether it was across the globe or across the the country these projects that demand this longer travel there there was an element of those that just had to keep happening um and i found that interesting um i i braced for the worst and i was surprised um because in the midst of that we um, we turned 360 on to our biggest clients and it was gangbusters busy, uh, through you now, not to historic levels, but way more than I thought it would be. So that was interesting. The resiliency of the business was interesting. Um, I think as time has gone on, this idea of permanent remote work, I think is becoming, is, is becoming interesting. I, I think, um, there's CEOs that will say it and they don't really mean it. And then there's CEOs like me that won't say it because I don't believe it's the answer. I think we've learned we can be remote. I think we've learned we can be flexible. Um, but again, I'm a humanist at heart. And I think, you know, the power of one plus one equals three, um, when you put two people together. And I think there's only so much we can do over video. Um, uh, and that's, there's an, in, there's an X factor in there. 
that you can't ignore. And, and, and I'm seeing it, you know, as our businesses is opening in Seattle, I've opened the offices, closed the offices, opened them close. Cause I keep getting told different things, but you know, when we're together, you know, the things that it's the, it's the little things. Like when I go all the way back in time to the birth of my original platform um, with my uh, then um, business partner, John Wolfert, you know, the idea of a marketplace for corporate housing and making it merit-based and all these things was because he and I were sitting there together just lamenting about something we couldn't get done with a client. We just lamenting, right? You don't, you don't do, you don't call someone on video and lament typically. <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, so I think, you know, I, I've learned that as time has gone on, I think everything comes back to the mean. I think as we get past this next year, you'll find more and more people coming back to the office, wanting to come back. And I think you're going to see some CEOs that made some pretty bold statements have to walk it back. Mm. Yeah, because I guess it's the culture piece again, as you, you were touching on as well, and the, the relationships that, you know, we as a human, we hunger for that as well. And I guess that, you know, that of course we want the freedom to to operate, but also we we know the really great ideas exactly happening when we when we come together in a way i think i think the the thing that's um interesting uh to watch is is because it's been clear during this pandemic clearer than ever in the history of the world that there are always winners and losers in everything and you know i think you know and why we're seeing such a labor crisis at the very basic levels of service in this world is they're frustrated that they don't get those that they don't get to just you know grab a computer and go somewhere and drink coffee and make money. Right. I think it's frustrating for a whole group of people now that didn't really understand that before. Right. They looked at people going, Oh my God, they got to go to that big office and sit in there all day. That sucks. I'd rather be making coffee. Right. Um, and, and I, I think there's, there's still a psychological backlash that's still yet to be understood. Um, which is why a lot of people haven't gone back to work. I think they're like, well, that I don't want to do that, but unfortunately they don't, they they're not positioned to do anything else. So our you know our baseline labor force is highly highly challenged right now because of, because I think there's a lot of that going on. So Lee, uh, on this amazing journey you've been on, you know, over the years, like there must be some people that has really influenced you and <laughs> made you an entrepreneur and CEO and you know took you to where you were. You said something really interesting to me as we were starting this conversation. You know, time becomes your friends over years as a as a ceo before probably i said a bit like i felt always time was or almost against me it couldn't go fast enough yeah no it's it does it does i think it's the the beauty of of patience and age it's like when you watch a you know if you you know any any like pro athlete who's you know just kind of tipping into the end of their career right they don't move as fast but they're you know there's a word called cagey right they can do things right I mean, Michael Jordan at the end of his career. Yeah, could still I was shoot. thinking, I was thinking exactly him. Yeah. yeah, he could, he could, he still scored 50 points on New Year's Eve, you know, uh, you know, but doing it very differently than he did, you know, before. And I think it's because the game slows down a little bit, like you were talking about, like you don't feel rushed. Um, so, so, to, you know, it's funny, to, um, to, you know, your question, I would answer your question differently uh, when I was a younger CEO, cause I'd feel pressure to answer it smart, you know, it's like the, the, the dinner game, who would you have dinner with? You know, if you could have dinner and everyone wants to say, well, Gandhi and, you know, and I'm like, well, that's bullshit. I'd, I'd want to have Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra and, uh, you know, uh, Gene Simmons. I think that would be a fun dinner party, but, um, but I, but I, I will say this, you know, because I think as I've got, as I have gotten older, I've become more, uh, in tune with what helped, what has driven me. And, you know, there's things that, um, and, and I, and I guess lecture at university sometime at my alma mater. So I say these to the kids, right. But I, I, one of the things I talk about is, is persistence and resilience, right. Just working hard, outworking everybody, um, first and foremost, cause that's the thing everyone can bring to the table. Um, and, and I, and I, you know, I, I'm going to have to, I have to give my shout out on that to my mom. Uh, my, my mother is an influencer and only, and I wouldn't have said that before, but as I've gotten older and I watched her age and, and lived through remarkable health issues and still in her mid eighties, um, be curious and, 
and still a driving force in the family. She weighs all of 70 pounds. She's from South America. She's an immigrant. She came here 65 years ago. Um, and uh, every time I, I talk to her, and you know, she's just relentless, right? Like she just has an agenda. Uh, and my wife tells me that all the time. She goes, you never stop. Like, like you know, just the little things. And that's how I run the company. Like, like just because I, I haven't sent you a note doesn't mean I'm not still thinking and following up. And but I think there's a positivity that comes from that, right? Like if things get done. And so I'm going to have to give my shout out to my mom on that one. Um, you know, and and I'm just keeping it on the light side. I don't know if you're a Star Trek fan, uh, but uh, if 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 you are, you know who Jean Luc Picard is, right? And you know, joke all joking aside, you know, there's a dignity. Uh, to the position that he carried in that series. And I, I think there's actually been books written about it, management books, but, uh, you know, about his style. Um, very inclusive, um, but very firm, right? Very, like, standards were understood, and he didn't have to be, uh, he didn't have to be mean to do it. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of great examples, I'm sure, in the real world, but, you know, I, I think he's an interesting one um, to model after because there's, again, I, I want to use the word dignity, integrity, right uh, that he brought to it um but you know i, I think taking it to business I, I would flip over to um steve jobs and and not because of the iphone um but again you know if he really i mean he got kicked out of his own company <laughs> right uh and let's face it he was he's not a model citizen you know by any means on a lot of things but he came you know he did pixar he comes back he saves the company, right? And he takes it to the next level. And I think that's an awesome story, um, you know, about leadership and persistence and entrepreneurship, you know, passion, you know, all those things are embodied and, you know, yes, there's ego in there, but you know, if, you know, you consult, if, if, if you have a CEO or founder that tells you they don't have an ego, they're lying to you. Um, right. They have to have one, um, how you use it is going to separate you from being one of the good guys or the bad guys. But, uh, but he's an interesting one just for all those things. And he could have, it could have not been the iPhone. It could have been a million things, how he did it. Um, and I especially like his second act, you know, when he comes back, um, and takes Apple to the next place and, you know, is now, you know, now has changed the world. The first time around, he didn't really change the world, right? Now he's changed the world and, uh, that's pretty cool legacy. So those would be my three. I mean, maybe Michael Scott from The Office, just for comedy. But <laughs> how not to do it? Yeah, how not to do? It. Well, you know, but his heart was always in the right place. Yeah, right? exactly. You're right that's about the, that. That's that's the that's the conundrum of The Office is the heart uh, was always in the right place. Yeah, but the execution was a bit poor. I know <laughs> we have, we have the English version called The Office as well with a guy called David Brent. Oh yeah. You know, Oh, it's it was, uh it's it's, it's it was the know, best we, by the way it was the best one it, the english version was i thought much funnier but you have to understand the british humor i think to get it yeah and understand the <laughs> uh, british office life as well uh, which i do i spent yeah. way too many years in a british office and i no offense but i'd rather not do that again <laughs> um how, how have you and how do you now actually show up you know strong i call it show up pro every day how do you keep uh you know keep you know, fresh, you know, and, uh, you know, have the, the capacity to deal with, because you have also been hit by lots of challenges that did. And, you know, you always has to, in the top in organization, there's always a lot of pressure coming from every side. Yeah. You know, um, again, I'm, 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 I'm really blessed that, you know, in this current, you know, version of, of my company, the people I've assembled, are very deliberately chosen people, right? So they came from my other companies and I really, really care for them and like them, um, you know, so we can operate a little looser, um, you know, kind of like the Rolling Stones on tour, right? They, they've just known it. We know each other a long time and, you know, we can all kind of, you know, we we're, we're pretty authentic with each other. We can, you know, I, I don't run a, an iron fist company. So if they have something to say to me, they, they, they need to say it and they will. Um, so, you know, that, so I, I look forward to the interactions. Um, I love what I do. So that helps, you know, you got to have passion for what you do. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a, I'm a voracious reader, so I'm constantly challenging myself to learn more and think different. Um, and I get excited about things that I, I stumble into, 
you know, whether it's off my Apple feed or other things I read, um, I'm always trying to bring them back to business and find new ways to push the needle a little bit. Cause at this point it's incremental improvement, um, to the business that drives it. There's, you know, not a lot of silver bullets lying around. Uh, so you got to find ways to get, you know, as my company gets bigger, try to keep them all engaged. Um, you know, try to, um, you know, you know, the CEO's job is many things, you know, entertain them, educate them, mentor them, you know, uh, lead them. And, uh, you know, I, I find that to be a very fulfilling challenge. So I, I think sh showing up pro is, you know, you got, I don't know how you would do anything if you didn't love it. So I, I just, you know, it's so hard for me to intellectualize, um, you know, how, you know, like do it, like even this, right. I couldn't do this if I didn't like what I did or love what I did. Um, so I think you got to have some drive passion. If this is a J, if this is just a job, this is a hard life. And I've, you know, I, I've been blessed. I've been blessed that everything I've done has been an enjoyment, whether it was the army, whether it was my, even my early days in hospitality. I mean, being a bellman, I could write a book about that, right? That was fun. You know, walking people at midnight in a convention hotel, not so fun, but when it was over, it was still pretty cool that you'd got through it. So, you know, all of those are pretty interesting, you know, tidbits to, to the, to the career. It's funny when I get that answer as well, I actually always goes back to one of my first job as a general manager in a, in a cafe. That was my best job, you know, like, uh, and I, I, it was just because it was the right mix of people and there was so many things. And in a way the, the challenge and the, and the expectation was beautiful balance for where I was in my life. So it's just like you had this moment. Also, you were talking with a lot of interesting people because we're in an interesting place where there's a lot of interesting business people. And that was actually probably where I got some of the hunch from I wanted to go and do my own things as I do today. So yeah, you're right. Sometimes, you know, you know, it's about, you know, you need to enjoy the moment you are in that space because then it will it will take you to the next space instead of thinking about what it could be. And you have to enjoy things. So go and do something else. Life is too short, you know. It's well said. Yeah. So so we're coming to the end here, uh, Lee, and I know uh, you have a day in front of you where, as we are sh shutting down things over here in, in Britain, and you're, you're almost just, you're, you're, you're early morning there in, in the US. But what three uh, advice would you give to, to leaders out there if I give you the stage, you know, if you think about just in general, what, what, how, what, how should we enter? It's so difficult to say when we enter something new in this world, but like, it feels like we are on our way into a new paradigm. Uh, especially in hospitality, what what would your top three advice be? Hmm, it's a good question. Um, you know, and again, some of it you may have heard me already talk about, but I, I think you know, I'll start with you know, as a leader, you know, regardless of what your crisis you're going through or what ups and downs you're going through, you know, there's there's, there's a real there's a real benefit to being authentic. Um, you know, and I say that as if you can control it. I mean, you you are what you are. Um, if you've gotten to that level, there's certainly a lot of good that got you there. Um, embrace it. Don't try to become somebody else. Uh, first of all, it's just too complicated, right? Who are you going to be for this call? Just be who you are, refine it, um, you know, make it, make it digestible to the extent that it's that people understand it, but be, be authentic, you know, and, and, and then surround yourself with people that embrace your your values uh and 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 your authenticity and try to build a team around that i think that that you know that's important um and especially became more important during the stress of the last 18 months i think it became more clear to me um that you know when being in the middle of of a very unknown global crisis that we can now look back on and think differently about but when we were in it it was very scary you know men, mental mental health it was being challenged, you know, people's beliefs were being challenged and, and you had to, you know, you know, I think more now than ever, you had to, you know, show uh, the compassion um, for your fellow human being as, as a human being, not just as someone that works for you. So I think compassion, you know, that everyone's talking about emotional IQ right now. And I think, I think it's, it's the right thing to talk about. I think people, if, you know, if you want to, if you want to hire and retain, people need to feel like they're part of something. They don't want to be a drone. Uh, and if you treat them like one, you won't have them. Um, you know, as I, I you know, I was given a, a, a lecture the other day talking about different leadership styles and they, you know, they, they all work. I mean, you know, 
I mean, Bezos has a different style than Musk, than Branson, right? They're all different characters. Um, but who's the one, you know, wh where do you want to work? Just because you're successful doesn't make you make it the best place. Um, and, you know, like, like go back 30 years and, you know, maybe the answer I would have given you for who's influenced me would have been Jack Welch or, or Lee, right? Jack Welch wouldn't last 10 minutes in an office today. He'd be thrown out, right? That behavior is no longer acceptable. So I think, so the world has changed and I think, you know, it's okay to be more compassionate in how you lead, um, you know, and then just, you know, lead from the front. You know, I think you're, you're, you know, if anything during this COVID environment, people needed to, you needed to be up front. You need to be, people need to hear from you. They need to know what you're thinking. All these things conspire to help people better, um, you know, um, you know, they're better prepared to deal with what's coming when they know where their leader stands. And I think it's important to try to break through that as much as you can. It's not, it, listen, we don't, it's impossible to make everybody happy or to say all the right things to everybody. But again, if you're authentic about it, then you don't have to apologize for it. They just, they can, they'll, they'll come to you versus you have to figure out how to get to them. It was like two really interesting things you said. Uh, I've been talking with a couple of founder CEOs recently. Is that thing that actually you know you're not perfect. It's actually okay to make a mistake, but just as long as you go back and said, I actually acknowledge I made a mistake. I've reflected on it. I'm very sorry that. Of course you can't. It's like the trust barrier. You can't do that every second minute. But again, like that's being authentic. It's actually being reflective about your own behavior and actually you know stopping up, even if it can go a week and then suddenly the the, the penny drops and said. Uh oh, I I made some because you read a book or you listen to a podcast, whatever you do, and you're thinking, "Wow, you can still go back and say, you know, I've been wrong, you know," because that that really brings the trust barrier up. And then I think the element you said about Jack Wells is quite interesting because I can still remember being working in, in and actually a lot of people thought that with the ten percent, you know, just cut the ten percent. That was a great idea, and it, it almost became a bit like a, you know, it became a, a practice in a way, and you thought wow wow so and then people say it works you know because people got shit scared you know that was what happened <laughs> there's fear and and i think and you're totally right today's environment and you can see it with the labor shortage we have you know this top-down model which is jack wells is the the power is at the center and you have to fear the top of the center here because uh, if you don't deliver you'll be out you don't even know if you deliver because sometimes you're just out because we need some more we need 10 percent to go so um, and it's so interesting that, you know, these shifts are now coming. And if you are not believing that, I'll call it the, you know, call it Jack Wells model or the industrial model of you are, you are the, the, you know, the commander and you throw orders down the Christmas tree leadership, I call it as well, where everything just slides down from the top of the star. Um, then, then I don't think you're in business for a very long time. In, in no, the, in well, the I mean, look at in your country. I mean, you're, I mean, the UK here. I mean, you know, the 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 prolifer the, the growth of the unions are exactly in 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 retaliation to that sort of behavior, right? The union, someone had to protect, you know, the worker um, because of that industrial use the right word that industrial style of hierarchy. Uh, you know, that just doesn't it just doesn't work anymore. And, you know, I mean, I, I was thinking the other day about, I used to work in Dallas for a while and it's a company called EDS that regularly once a year, they would have all their employees in the building come to an auditorium with a box full of all their office stuff. Cause they were going to do the 10% and you didn't, so you came in not knowing, and then they call the 10% names and the rest went back to their offices. I mean, how freaking, you know, unmotivating. I mean, I, I don't even know how you do it. Right. Like, like, so I'm pretty sure they don't do that anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah let's but, hope. Yeah. Well, let's hope for sure. <laughs> Else you're out of business. Uh, if you're listening in at some point very soon, thank you so much, Lee. It's been a really interesting conversation. Lots of great advice out there. Where, where can people find you if they want to, to, to know more about you? Yeah, my, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, which is one way, right? Just look me up, Lee Curtis, uh, reside. And then www.staywithreside.com is our site. Um, those are the easiest ways. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Lee. Uh, I wish you and the team uh, good luck and power and energy for, for the time ahead. Absolutely. Thanks. You too. Happy holidays. 
Thank you so much, Lee, for your great insight on the future of hospitality, digital transformation, and your great leadership advice. I would recommend you now to ask yourself, do we have enough human touch on our digital experience? To get further inspiration on how to boost your service apartment business, tune in to episode 88 with Larry Corman, president of AKA Hotel Residence on Being 3D. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels. A big thank you to Be Simply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at bisimply.com or on their social at bisimply or bisimplyaq. You can also email them directly on advice at bisimply.com. Remember to download your free copy on Fragile to Agile either under the resource tab on bisimply.com or via the link in the show notes. And we have some great insights in there and solution to improve your leadership game. Big thank you to Fina Charlson, the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to the newsletter and download free leadership tools at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. I'm Michael Tingser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick Podcast. Be maverick!